and welcome to Dopey, podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. And my name is Chris. Chris is fading like a flower at the end of spring. Oh, that was a good one. You are not looking good, not seeming well, and very agitated. You have no, no ability to grind it out. I'm grinding. You're not grinding. I'm grinding. I'm ripping. <laughs> how, how did you say grinding? <laughs> I am grinding. What is that song about? I don't know. Let's ask in person. In eight minutes, so we have a lot of time to what fill. What are we going to talk about? I don't know. <laughs> I'll tell you this story. In eight minutes, we're bringing on the, the lead singer of Three Dog Night, the author of uh, Three Dog Nightmare, Chuck Negron. I'm very excited. Me too. I've been reading this book for like a fucking month. Have you been listening to the book or reading? No, I read it. it. You literally read it. I read the whole oh, thing. Wow. Is it available in audio tape? No. <laughs> <laughs> audio tape. Yeah. Is that what they're called? No, they're called audio books oh, or audibles. Yeah. Yeah, they sent me an autographed copy of it. I'm super proud to have it. I don't know where oh, it is. Oh, wonderful. So we're gonna have to have a picture of it to show the dopey nation. Wonderful. The book is coming out. That's part of our talking. Now, part. how did you think about getting this guy on? How did I think about getting this guy on? Back in the day, one of my favorite shows ever was VH1 Behind the Music. Yeah. Did you ever watch that show? Yeah. VH1 Behind the Music might have been, between VH1 Behind the Music and Artie Lang and, and, and life and, and addiction, that's how Dopey happened. Yeah. VH1 Behind the Music, man, that show was the perfect show for me. I remember I was I, I I would watch every episode. It basically showed a life of a band, uh, the rise and fall of a band, and I live for rise and fall stories about anything. But the and I'm a musician. The rise and fall of a band, you know, like like there's no better behind the music than like behind the music on Poison or something. Yeah. Some band that had like five hits. And then they all shot coke and shot dope and disappeared. Yeah. You know, that is my... That's what happened to Poison? No, that happened to Motley Crue. Yeah. Poison, um, they were alcoholics, but the lead singer was a diabetic, and they turned on each other, and they fell apart. Okay. Um, But also, all of those bands came up in the video age, so it's like there's a lot of great footage. Hmm. Three Dog Night... Pre. Well, Three Dog Night, I think, got together in 1968 or 69, and... um, they were the biggest band in the 70s, literally. They were, they were as big as the Eagles or Fleetwood Mac or any of that stuff. And um, I think by 1975, Chuck is going to tell the story, but he wound up so fucked up on heroin and, uh, and Danny Hutton wounded, wounded, what's wounded? Wound, fuck, wound up fucked up on alcohol and other drugs. Chuck will let it, set it straight that they fell apart. And then when they got back together, um, the reason that the behind the music was so good, though, is because I don't think there is a bigger junkie in rock and roll than Chuck Negron. I mean, I think... So you watched him on behind the music and you were like, you remembered him and you were like, I got to get him on Toby. No, it was, I didn't see the behind the music in 20 years. Uh-huh. Why did it come to me now? Yes. Well... I'm a big fan of music, you know, yeah. and I think what happened was listening to my music and I started listening to uh, the Three Dog Night song One. You know yeah. that song? No. But I'm going to play it. Why not? Um, and, um, and I was like, and it popped in my head. Chuck Negron popped in my head. And I took the, um, you know, what you always do is you, you, you try to contact people on Facebook and, like, where the fuck is, you know, I, I didn't know what Chuck Negron was doing, so maybe I could get a hold of him on Facebook. And I wrote him on Facebook, and I never heard back. And then weeks later, his girlfriend wrote me back on Facebook, this woman, Amy. Yeah. And she said, well, what is your podcast like? And I said, I told her what it was like. Yeah. And she said, well, do you have an example? And I got nervous because it's like, you know what our show is like. Yeah. And I, but we had just done the Matt Pinfield episode. Oh, okay. So I told her to listen to the Matt Pinfield episode. And in the Matt Pinfield episode, we like took care of Matt. Yeah. You know what I mean? We made him look good. And it's and very it was, music-y. Very music-y. And, he said, and they were like, perfect. And then I also remembered back in the day, Chuck was on the Howard Stern show and told some of these ridiculously terrible junkie stories yeah. on the Stern show. How old is this guy? He's got to be 73. Oh, wow. Okay. 
He's got to be 73. Yeah. And um, I don't want to ruin any of the story because it's like, there's a lot of good stories. No, you answered my question. And this is the, this is my other, he has, he has like five ridiculously big hits. But this, I, I love, Jeremiah was a bullfrog when I was a kid. I think that was my first favorite song. Yeah. Because like that initial Fender Road I remember hit. listening to it as a kid, playing pool at my uncle's house and drinking Coke and listening to that song. Shooting Coke with your uncle and listening. Drinking Coke. Running <laughs> some Coke. Yeah. Uh. In the pool. Hold on. This is the other song. Oh. I know this Anyway, I'm just psyched to have him on the show. He's been sober, I think, 22 years. All right. Something like that. Let's give him a call. Let's give him a call. Yeah. All right. I should have had his number set up. Can you pause it, please? Is this Chuck? Yeah, how you doing? How you doing, man? My name is David. Are you recording? I'm recording. Oh, it's we're going. recording? We're live. We're going. I'm with Chris. <laughs> hey, Chuck. What's up, man? Hey, how are you? I'm good. You in Los Angeles? Yes, yes. I'm, uh, yeah, just kicking back today. I uh, have my, uh, my girlfriend's sister and uh, nieces and nephews here, so we're just c- kind of uh, relaxing. I heard you were supposed to go to some sort of uh, theme park today, and we held you up or something. Is that yeah? Po- they went. Yeah, they, yeah. They they took off, and they're uh, now on uh, some two hour ride. I'll tell you, I don't want to do anything for two hours. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But at anything, at any rate, they're having a good time. I just saw a post on Facebook. It's amazing, you know. You see what people do, and they post all the time. Yeah, it's weird, right? What do you think about it? You know, it's uh, you know, kind of makes you lazy in a way. Socially, you don't have to, you know, you, you don't have to really check up. You just to find out, you know, <laughs> post back, like you know, it's, it's, it makes things simple. So, Chuck, you uh, are one of Dave's dream guests. He's been chomping at the bit to get you on the show. And, and uh, I don't know, I didn't know much about your music or your, your story. And Dave's just been telling me tidbits here and there. And uh, sounds pretty wild. Well, you know, it was an exciting time, a lot going on. I mean, you know, things were changing. You know, the 50s were very, very... Uh, very kind of uh, close to the vest. People were very conservative, and you know, we got into the '60s. It all changed, you know, the mid '60s, and so it was really a, a difference. Uh, you know, for women, women's rights came into uh, you know into play more than ever before, and the sexual revolution, and then you know, at the same time, the pharmaceutical industry, industry as they are doing now, started changing things and uh, you know in, in many ways not for the you know not for the uh, for the best but uh, you know they were actually just trying to help make you know come up with something you know with valium and all these different uh, pills it was really a generation of pills as well and, and a lot of different narcotics so uh it was you know very uh it was like the wild west right and chuck grew up in the bronx you grew up in the bronx right yeah, I lived the uh, first 18 years of my life. I graduated high school, and then I left and went to California. Been, been here, I've been here ever since. He was a, a basketball star. He w- he went to California on a basketball scholarship, and he was signed to a record label at the same time. Oh. And um, and and I, I re- I've been reading your book uh, on my commute in and out of work. And I, I'm loving it. I, I finished it today. I've read every page of this thing, and I had a really good time reading it, and I really appreciated the book, uh, Three Dog Nightmare. Oh, good, good. I'm glad, I'm glad you did. Yeah, I loved it. Um, and I wanted to talk about, you know, I wanted to jump right in, because our show is all about drug addiction, recovery, the stupid shit we do. Chris and I are both recovering uh, IV heroin addicts, just in case you weren't aware of it. Um, 
and we we tried. No, to, I wasn't. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're both uh, in recovery, and we both used to shoot dope, and um, and that's the nature of our show. It's like taking a look at drug addiction and all the stupid shit we did, and uh, and what's funny about it, and what's entertaining about it, and I I found like there was a lot of great stuff in your book to talk about, um, and getting sober too. Oh I, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff. You your first thing, his your I'm first not- drug was some kind of cough medicine, right? Yeah, um, you know, I really had no reference to drugs whatsoever. You know, I was a, you know, I was a, as as you mentioned, I was an athlete, and you know, that was really my life. I sang because I loved it, and and you know, I seemed to always end up in a, you know, a band. When I was fifteen, I made my first record because my friend, you know, kind of grabbed me and put me in this band. But at any rate, um, yeah, I hadn't done any drugs, and I heard the kids that when I had gone that summer. When I'd gone home after school, I heard, you know, heard all my friends talk about Romalar and, you know, what a trip it was. It was like an eight-hour trip. Have you heard about you know, this, Chris, Romalar? No. What is, yeah, what's Romalar. the chemical? Oh, you know, I forget it. I forget what it was. But it's one of those, it's actually a known chemical now. It's really hallucinogenic and... It's a dextromethorphan. Quite, yeah. quite a great trip. Yeah. You actually became... Uh, Almost eight hours. It was a, you know, like a, you were just out of it and a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, you know, when I was at this party and all these people were getting high and the mothers of invention were the band playing there. It was Donovan Leach's uh, party. It was a party for Donovan Leach. And, um, you know, I just wanted to be a part of it. So I said, oh, you guys ever tried Romalar? You know, <laughs> I never even tried it. So they, uh, a couple of people said, no, let's go get some. And I know, you know, I said, where do you get out? Probably a pharmacy, and I, we got it. We got it in a in a pharmacy. Um, and uh, anyway, that was my first, yeah, my first drug. And when you did it, did you did it, it hit you in a way that you knew you you kind of the addiction kind of like showed itself that you liked being altered, right? Oh yeah, I loved it. I was, I mean, even in the middle of the high, I wanted to do it again. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I was already high, and I wanted to do it more. And uh, and it was soon after that that you came in touch with uh, Danny Hutton, right? And Dan, I, I mean, I had, you know, I, I'm a Three Dog Night fan, but and forgive me, I, I had never, I had never known what Danny Hutton's thing was. I knew that he had come up with uh, Brian Wilson, and uh, but it's, I don't know, like I never understood why Danny Hutton was such a big deal. Um, but that's just me. Um, what was? Well, Danny, Danny um, had a. I met actually met Danny at that party for Donovan. And um, Danny had a hit record, so uh, as soon as I was introduced to him, I knew you know he had a record called "All Roses and Rainbows." So he in L.A. since he was from it, well, you know, lived in L.A. He was very hot, very um, you know, the people held him in high, you know, high esteem as a local boy, so to speak. And he, but the record was a good record. So um, when you know he, as things matured, the, you know, his he kind of failed on his next record and then he got a deal with MGM and, and Tom Wilson was co-producer Tom Wilson produced the, uh, Dylan Bob Dylan yeah so, he did you know, he really 61. had a big shot and I, you know and I think what happened with Danny and I didn't I didn't know that then but now I do I think the drugs and drinking really interfered with him because I went to one of the sessions uh, and I knew Tom from Columbia because I was on Columbia and uh, so Danny was asked to sing. He didn't think he was going to sing, but what happened back then was the people from uh, the from Aftra and, you know, they wanted to make sure the record, you know, the people weren't overdubbing and all that other stuff was a different time. So they go, so the, you know, the producer would go or, hey, you got to go in and sing. And you could hear he wasn't ready. And I went, oh, shit, this is a big chance for him. Why isn't he ready? And, you know, I was out there partying with him every night. So I really, you know, didn't think about until years later. Well, he really kind of blew his shot uh, unbeknownst to me and him because he was not prepared because of drugs and alcohol. Right. So anyway, he, you know, he became good friends with Brian and, and Brian became our first producer under the name of Redwood. We weren't even Three Dog Night then and, because uh, Brian and him were friends and, was, and uh, you know, so one thing led to another one. He was really kind of lost because he could, you know, the record deal was over he, you know, got Corey Wells together and then tried to get, you know, get surround himself with really good people, which was a very smart thing. And then 
Corey wanted one more guy, so Danny said, I know a great singer, and he called me. So, uh, you know, that's how, that's how Danny got going. He really kind of uh, was really important in putting, you know, putting it together. As things moved on, he became a real burden, but that's, again, drugs and alcohol. You know, it was, uh, uh, you know, we just, we, we just were, were kind of annoyed, but, but, you know, we didn't know that, God, this guy has a problem, you know, so it, uh, so that's, you know, that was the Danny story. The poor guy was just a drug addict. And, what was his know, drug? Um, what? What was his drug of choice? In the book, it kind of sounds like he was an alcoholic or like uh, he did a lot of coke. Yeah, yeah he, was an, he was an alcoholic. But Danny and I, we first, we liked uh, second alls and doing all downers. And then Quaaludes. So Danny and I, at one point, we found a guy and we got 5,000 5,000 second holes. Wow. And I want to tell you, 5,000 second holes. Once I saw it, so we split it in half. <laughs> and so he liked Dallas. Then we got to the stage where Dallas were no good because we were really messing up, you know. And the cocaine was coming in because we started having money. So then it was cocaine and, you know, and, and quaaludes and, you know, and drinking. I was never much of a drinker, but then I became a drinker. Uh, so, you know, uh, pills. Uh, cocaine, drinking, and that's that's about it, you know, for Danny. And then it's, it's time, you know, and earlier Danny and I would take gas LSD because we knew, uh, you know, Osley, and you know, we 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 get the pure stuff. So you knew so Osley? Yeah, yeah. We they'd go to he they'd go to his place, and uh, you know he. He'd sell it to us, sell it to us. And it was it was not illegal when we got it. What year was That's that? Guess what, 60, 67? So were, you, were, the, were the dead hanging around then? What was the deal there? No, 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 we were L.A. group. I know, but the dead actually uh, were in Los Angeles with Owsley and Watts and stuff, and Owsley was making them eat all this raw meat and shit, and he was producing acid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I never know. I wasn't, no, I didn't know the dead. I mean, I did shows and I met the dead, but I, I did not, you know, they weren't a part of our, you know, our, our circle, you know. So, uh, yeah, I didn't know them. Oh, right on. I, I love all these stories. You guys hung out with, like, Steppenwolf and Vanilla Fudge and those guys, right? Well, those guys were, um, Steppenwolf was uh, the opening, uh, not the opening, uh, the, uh, with our management company. So we got to open for them when they were, you know, when they were selling out, you know, 20,000-seat arenas, 15,000, 18,000-seat arenas. So we got to open, open for them, which was our break. They really gave us our break. And uh, I don't know why they didn't fire us, because we kicked their ass every night, every <laughs> single night. And, uh, you know, and, then, and the, the following year, we headlined in almost every one of those places, because, the, you know, the audience wanted us back. So, uh, and then Stepwell finally let us go because, you know, they, they just, you know, they just kind of saw, John Case saw this is not a good combination. So then we opened up Vanilla Fudge and we became friends with them. They were kind of crazy guys and, uh, you know, nice guys. But we, you know, we, uh, our first tour was with the Flying Burrito Brothers. I love that band. Graham Parsons. Was he a yeah, mess? Yeah, good band. What a combo. I mean, it was just like night and day, two different bands. I mean, it was... It, but back then, you could have eclectic acts. They, they didn't look for acts. That, you know, they just looked for two good acts. And the audience, you know, you know was... was uh, They weren't conditioned to hear one type of music like they are on the radio today. Right. I mean, when our radio station, you know, it went from one... From UMass to Kayla to Sugar Sugar. You know, I mean, yeah. it, everything was on one station. Well, so everything was, was good then, Chuck. That was the difference. Everything was yeah, good. Yeah. There was a level of quality. Um, do me yeah, a favor, though. You, you know, you could grow as uh, as a listener being introduced to things that you would not be today because you're just listening to the same song over and over. Right, right. Back then, what was the... Because our show is a total drug debauchery show. When did uh, when did you find that Three Dog Night for you became like a crazy drug time? When was the beginning of, of the beginning of that? Well, actually, uh, 
you know, there's many levels of crazy. I mean, the, the years, year plus that I was on the second hose was, was horrific. I mean, I broke my nose two times. I mean, now it's just a fall. I crashed through a table, swined off into a glass table. They were picking out, picking out glass for an hour out of my face. Uh, you he know, went on stage and, uh, with you know, a broken that, nose, broken arm. I, there's pictures. Oh, yeah, yeah, a couple of times. Didn't you have to, to headline at in the Germany, forum? Germany. Like, uh, in Germany, I broke my nose on the little, in the bathroom, the little glass uh, that, that holds up. You know, you put your cosmetics on the little glass thing that sticks out. And I, I put my head down and cracked my nose open. I had to have stitches. And, and I did a show that afternoon, you know, it was like r- ridiculous. Totally. Um, what was I thinking? Um, when but what, you... hap- what happened was when it really got dangerous when it really got where I didn't care I mean I always wanted to do the shows I always you know I mean the drugs I get up no matter how hungover I was you know I wanted you know I just couldn't wait to do the shows but when the heroin came into play of course we, you know you know that when you get to a point that you're sick you don't care what's going on you just want to get well so you know so that point came where you know, it was really things changed because if I was running out of dope, I, you know, I, I had to go where I had to go to get it. You know, even if there was a show, and, and luckily, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't miss any until like right at the very end. What's that? I said, and luckily, I didn't miss any shows because I was sick and trying to get drugs. You know, trying to get heroin until the very, very end of the band, but. um yeah, it really got insane with the heroin because I, you know, I didn't, you know, when I was sick, I didn't care about the shows. I just wanted to get well. I remember I was reading about it. You were, you had married your second wife, Julia, and she was this rock and roll sort of yeah. junkie chick. Worked at the Whiskey a Go Go. Yeah. She was John Densmore, who was the Rolling or the the Doors drummer's ex wife, and he got with her, and they're snorting dope, and they're snorting two thousand dollars of dope a day. Mm. And someone is like, well, who are you yeah. selling it to, right? What, what was that story? Yeah. Yeah, well, what it was was she was a pig. <laughs> she she could do more dope. You know, I, I'd fall asleep and she'd steal my dope. <laughs> uh, so, but back then, the dope was really, really great China White. So we just could sniff it. We could put it on our food, in our soup. You know what I mean? You didn't have to shoot it up. Did you put we it in your soup? We had all we wanted. Chuck, did you put oh, the yeah, dope yeah. in your soup? Yeah, you can put a little dope in, you know, in your soup in the morning, you know, uh, you know, make sure you get a good nap. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, we just did that once because I saw it in a movie. But at any rate, um, you know, we could sniff it. Had a great drip. I mean, this is terrible. Don't know it, but I mean, you know, had a great taste, and uh, so we didn't have to, you know, didn't have to shoot it up and didn't start shooting it up. But that's why we did. Uh, you know, we, the most we got was a quarter ounce, a, a quarter ounce of heroin a, a day. Oh my well, God. we, you know, we just, we just be, using our tolerance became so, you know, so ridiculous that I, I eventually had to go in a hospital. And she didn't, she wouldn't go in to get a detox, so I could bring my habit down. Hmm. Right. Um, uh, another thing that amazed me in your story about that time. You guys were copping at the same place that was that Wonderland house, right? The John Holmes story. Yeah, yeah. Would you, yeah. you, know, you know, remember the movie? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Would you tell that story a little bit? Yeah, well, this it's really sad. Because this woman, Joy, the woman, one of the women that that died there, died, and she was actually was her place. She was um, this lovely this woman who had breast cancer and had her breasts removed, a very beautiful woman, and then had, uh, you know, implants, you know, put back in, and uh, she bonked her husband, she left her husband, uh, he was a lawyer because her life was too dull, and, you know, after the cancer, she, you know, some people decide they want to, you know, live, so anyway, she uh, didn't know how to make a living in front of the sell of coke, you know all these musicians. You know, she had, through her daughter, she had met, uh, you know, younger younger people. And uh, so I got turned on to her, and, you know, I started buying Coke, you know, Coke from her. And then I, I wanted to rehab again this is a couple of years later when I came out. 
she was living in Laurel Canyon in a place that, unfortunately, she died. And uh, there was these people around her. This really not cool, you know. And um, they were all ex-cons and, you know, and I went, what's going on? She said, oh, well, you know, we're selling heroin. And I went, oh, God, don't, you, you know, this is, not a, this is not a good thing. And so at any rate, um, I thought about buying, you know, buying my heroin uh, from her. And then one day I saw John Holmes over there. The porn star, yeah. uh, you, know, you know, what are you doing with him? This guy's a real, you know, he's kind of an informant and a crazy guy. And uh, she said, no, oh, no, no, we got him on the show. Anyway, the whole story in the movie, how he mentions, you know, uh, Eddie, uh, Nash. what his name was. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, you know, they go, they go rip him off and, and uh, you know, and then uh, you know the, uh, the 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 gun went off, and the bodyguard was shot by accident. So when Eddie told them, Eddie Nash, when he told them to go, you know, go back and teach him a lesson, you know, this bodyguard, you know, had been shot. He wanted to kill him, and uh, at any rate, uh, they did. They killed them all. They killed them all. Actually, my my wife Julie, because we lived right over the hill, found them. She's wow. the one that found them. It's oh, insane. And uh, she called me. She, she actually called me from the house. She said, they're all dead. And I went, what, what, what? And I went, they're all dead. Holy shit. Um, I said, well, where are you? She said, I'm in the house. I said, get out of there. <laughs> I mean, you don't know the killers could be there. And that's what you that boogie night scene was based up. off of? Yeah. And, what? And, and Chuck, I, there's a thing in the book. He said he was dope sick and he was going to go over there to cop, but somehow he fell asleep. And in the morning he woke up and they were all murdered. Holy shit. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. What happened was I had a meeting with Danny and Cor for Three Dog Night about the reunion. So I had to be together, you know, because they, you know, they were seeing me funky and, you know, sick. And so uh, I was really... You know, when I called them, they hadn't answered the phone for a couple of days. And I was, you know, getting shit dope around town. And the time that she picked up the phone, she said, come over in an hour. And I went, oh, God, thank God. And I lied down, and it never happens. You know, you know, in the middle of a kick, I fell asleep. And uh, somehow Julia had worked out getting some dope. Someone came by and gave some dope. So she was okay. And then when I woke up in the morning, she said, here, I, I, have, I have this. Well, whenever I woke up, and then I went and did the meeting, and in the middle of the meeting, that's when she called me. She said they're all dead. But yeah, I mean that was a that was my first thing where you know God, it was a miracle. God saved me. God intervened because you do not fall asleep, you know, in the middle of being dope. Sick. No, of course amazing. not. It's an amazing. The last story. thing you do, <laughs> right? Um, I, I a couple of episodes that we did ago, I was I was in the middle of your book, and I read the part about your dick. When you were fucking so much and your dick almost exploded and the doctor's like, don't fuck another chick story. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, well, I was... Um, <laughs> That's not a great know, segue. Having, uh, what? I said that wasn't a great segue, but I want to hear the exploding dick story. Yeah, no, no, you can always segue into the dick thing. <laughs> uh, that... Uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was like, I was in my 20s, and all of a sudden the most beautiful girls in the world are coming on to me, and I didn't even have to say a word. You know, I saw that dude walk in a room and, you know, stand in the corner like a model or something, you know. <laughs> anyway, so I'm having this ridiculous amount of sex, you know, four or five girls a night. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so anyway, I become very chapped <laughs> and uh, very sore and, and dry and starts to hurt and then, you know, and then all of a sudden I notice my, my penis is swelling up and I'm going jeez and it was really really the skin was unbelievably taut and it looked like it was going to just rip um, but I kind of liked it because I went hey I'm getting pretty hungry <laughs> <laughs> and anyway so what, I went, went to a doctor and uh, the doctor thought I was a, an obsessive compulsive jerking off all day so and I couldn't convince him it was sex <laughs> he said no one has that anyway <laughs> he gave me a salve and he did a massive test and he said you know I, I think beyond the skin thing you have a serious problem here you have damaged the nerves so the blood is 
you know, when you get an erection, blood comes in, and then when it goes down, the blood goes out. All the blood is not leaving. You've somehow damaged your nerves, and that's why it's so gorged and big. It's, there's blood in there. You need to stop having sex. So I did, you know, because it hurt. You know, I did, and then one day this beautiful, you know, this beautiful girl was just just there, and it was like, oh, God. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, so we you know, went back to Rome. We had sex in the middle of the sex. I swear to God, this is the truth. Just like Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock, I heard, like, when, he, when, when she gets stabbed and just, just heard it, and then all of a sudden... There's blood everywhere. Oh, my God. And the poor girl screaming like a man. You know, just screaming. And, uh, um, you know, they rushed me to the hospital, uh, which was the people at the hospital, once they thought the bleeding, had a great time laughing at me uh, fixing my dick. Oh, my you God. Know, uh, it's crazy. <laughs> everyone's coming in. So, you know, they were, they were messing with me. You know, all of a sudden, this is a teaching hospital. Everyone's in there. Yeah, so what you do here is, they're all looking at me giggling. <laughs> you know, uh, so they had to stitch me up. Uh, the skin had 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 just got so taut that it split. It just split, split right down the middle. That's a, and, that's uh, a it's a real catch twenty two. You have a medical condition that makes your penis huge, but you can't use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like, that's life. <laughs> we call that life. You know? yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so anyway, that's, uh, you know, God. That's I don't hysterical. know if you noticed, but Amy, it really upset Amy hearing this story. She said, over and over again, this, this story. So what she did was to, so she would have kind of the upper hand on the story, kind of it nip, nip the story in the bud. She created a toy. I've that seen the a, toy. A, a hot dog. What is okay, it? Okay, so she created that, and then, you know, and it, it sings... Mama told me not to come. And oh. he hit me hard. <laughs> it, it's a hot dog that's yeah, yeah. stitched so she, up. Whenever they start the story, she goes, here, here's, here's the toy. That's hysterical. I didn't make the connection. <laughs> that's so yeah. funny. Oh, my God. That's funny. Yeah. No. So, at any, yeah, at any rate, yeah. My Chris is not well, the, the biggest music fan in the world. And just to paint you the picture of Three Dog Night, there's three singers. There's Chuck... There's Danny Hutton and there's Corey Wells. And then there's that fantastic R&B rock and roll band pushing the music across. Um, I, I love your tunes. And um, what was it like the first time that that guitar... What was his name? What was the guy who wrote um, Joy to the World? Hoyt Axton. Hoyt Axton. What, what, tell me about the first time you heard him play you uh, Joy to the World. And they had turned it down. Who, Danny you know, and Corey had heard it? Worked on the song. Corey, Corey, Danny, and the whole band had heard it. And Corey and Danny turned it down. There were a couple of guys in the band, Joe Shermie and Michael Olson wanted it. They liked it. They thought it was good. But Danny and Corey, you know, those, you know, when it came to songs, you know, the band had nothing to say really what we were going to do. Um, they just made it happen, you know. Right. Um, so uh, I just heard that they turned it down. So I figured it wasn't a very good song. So anyway, Hoyt came over one night, and he, he says, look, I recorded this thing, a new version, and he plays it, and it's like, Jeremiah was a prophet. <laughs> and I go, what? Why would you do that? <laughs> and why, I mean, why would, who would, who would re record that? And he said, well, the thing was the other one, no one wanted to record it. They thought it was stupid. I went, what? He said, well, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Or Jeremiah was something, and then it ended up bullfrog. Um... And I said, well, let me hear the song, you know, the way it did its original form. Because he made this big gospel record. Um, and he played it on the guitar. And I said, you know what, come on, guys, let's go in. And actually what it was was, to be honest with you, I felt bad for Hoyt. You know, Hoyt was, you know, was a big star. Hoyt was one of the great, great writers. He was at a time in his career where he was hawking his own stuff. And, you know, he was getting turned down by us. And I, I felt bad for him. So I said, guys, let's go in. And fool around with it. That's when fooled around with it. It's just one of those things that started really happening. So we recorded it right then. And, um, you know, we, we did it. And, and then 
when we, we just found, we're, we're putting vocals on it with the guys, uh, the, actually the band is singing, Danny and Corey show up, and they're kind of a little annoyed that we're doing this song because they turned it down. But they can't not admit it's sounding good. So they said, well, okay, let us sing the backgrounds too. So they come in, you know, and of course with the three of us singing, it became 10 times better, you know, just the harmony. And then, you know, we gave it to the record company and, you know, that was that. We kind of, we kind of worked through, uh, you know, a time where, you know, you don't know a song, you know, you know when you're not sure about it, go in and sit down with it and work it out a, a while. You never know, it might work out. So we get the call, it's going to be released as a single, and Danny Corey not happy at all. Uh, and they said, ah, that, they start making, they're making fun of the song. So I said, guys, we're all, come on. Anyway, it comes out. If this song is so big that we are not eligible for the Grammys because it came out too late, but the song is so big they invite us to perform it as a guest on the Grammys. Huh. Never happened before. Huh. Well, Chuck, that's so not- we do. The following year, it's up for several Grammys, including Record of the Year, and I, I'm my best vocal performance. I don't even think they have an award anymore. And uh, that song, this, that, anyway... It was number one for six weeks, and you know, sold. They, I, I heard it was like eight times platinum, something like that. Um, you know, the, the, one of the freakiest songs to come around in years as far as success. So, uh, you know, you never know. You never know. Well, that that song, the production on it is so crazy. Just when it starts with that with that electric piano, and you just belt it out. I mean, I remember I was a kid. And I heard that song, and I was just like, "This is my favorite song," you know. And just break out dancing, <laughs> you know. It just it just hits you like that, and the production it's just so magical, and it feels so good, you know. It's it's amazing, and um, and I think that's a quality of your singing too. I think when 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 on your on those songs on like one, you you, you capture a feeling that's just undeniable. Like that song is so haunting, and Jeremiah is so feel good. It's like you, you have this quality that's just incredibly infectious and amazing, and it's it's really cool. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Great band. You know, we really had a, you know, quite a band going. Great live band, too. Yeah, kick ass. I mean, they toured the world. Tell tell Chris the story in Japan when you guys got into all those problems in Japan. Well, you know, we... Uh, it was, Japan was the first place the, that we ever landed. There were thousands and thousands of people at the, at the airport. You know, like the Beatles, we'd never seen that before. So we were kind of feeling pretty good about ourselves. <laughs> and the shows were, you know, we were selling out and, and just, you know, doing well. So we were invited to, you know, the clubs. The clubs at night, we got pretty... You know, we got, you know, pretty wrecked. I uh, I got wrecked and t- took one of the limbos and thought I was going into the whole hotel and went into a Buddhist temple inside with the car. It, it, it wasn't, they, they wanted they wanted me to leave the country. So uh, they, uh, I had one more show. They said, after the show, out of here. And I, so <laughs> I did. Fortunately, I'm, I'm allowed back. I'm allowed back now, but those, the, the Japanese are the so gracious and they were so patient with us as they were with many many other acts but that, you know that was a time in, in, in Australia when we went to Australia they wanted to do cavity searches with us oh and we go what, what because evidently uh, uh, Paul McCartney and uh, Joe Cocker come through with drugs I think just pot and so they were you know fed up and um, I mean these guys literally were you know doing terribly uncomfortable stuff. And the interesting thing about it is you find a lot about people. You know, we all went through when I came out and then I noticed Danny getting back on the line. <laughs> he wanted to have another cavity search. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to hear the story where you you're on some some trip and you and you had to sacrifice your tooth to keep you from getting dope sick. Oh, man, these guys are all over me. I mean, they were intercepting packages. They were, no, I was sick. I was sick and I had a show uh, coming up. And 
you know, I said, what's wrong? And I said, oh, I've got an infection. I got a, I need a tooth. And, you know, I went in there and, I, you know, I can't believe the dentist, you know, took the tooth I picked. And he went, you can't lose that tooth. Let me fix it. <laughs> That's an important tooth. And I said, oh, I said, I want it out. And I don't know why he took it out, but he did. And I got a prescription for drugs. And I was okay. You know, I lost the tooth that I needed the rest of my life for two days of, of medication. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what did they and give you? Like, what did they give you for it? Give me codeine. And actually, I got a couple that I allotted. Mm. There you <laughs> go. I talked the guy into it. Really low, low pain threshold. And, and that, you know, when I'm singing, uh, you know, but I just, you know, he knew. I think he knew. Just get me. He just wanted me out of there. So, uh, you know, but, I, but in the, uh, when the band was over, when I, when I left, um, in the early 80s, I had been busted, I was getting ready to go to jail, but I, I was out for, a, you know, for some time, and when I got out of jail, I was on, you know, on the, on the probation, uh, I had drug tests all the time, so I had to cover up, I had to cover up the, um, the drugs I was taking. So I go to this other dentist who would kind of try these all these new different things on me. You know, it's kind of like his guinea pig. And he was nuts. And then he'd write me scripts. And one time he was getting ready to put an overcame in my mouth and he stopped and he stuck it in his leg and he shot himself in the leg. He goes, I can't stand this. The leg hurts so much. <laughs> I, went, I went to myself, oh my God, he's nuts. Not I'm nuts. <laughs> right. He's nuts. So anyway, that's how I got a, I got a script for uh, coding and sometimes uh, more powerful stuff. For some reason, when I read this book, my favorite story out of all the stories was the story where Julia, you are, you are living, I mean, Chuck really went to, to shit, forgive me. He wound up living in the streets. He wound up living at a dealer's house and, and things were really bad. But at that point, Julia, his ex-wife, had let him stay with her. And uh, and Greg Allman was visiting. When I read that book, when I read that story, I started laughing hysterically on the Long Island Railroad. I just could you tell the Greg Allman watch story because I love that story. Yeah, well, I'm at, you know I'm I'm in the house taking care of the boys. Julia's on the road with uh, Greg, and the front door opens and it's Julia and Greg, and uh, the tour's over, and you know. She says, you know, we're home, you know, you don't, you, you can go on. I said, I have no place to go. She goes, oh, yeah, okay, you can stay here. Um, and Greg comes in later, you know, in the living room while watching TV, and he goes, Chuck, I'm really worried about you. And I'm going to myself, oh, my God, Greg Almond's worried about me. That got to be really bad if Greg Almond's worried about me. <laughs> right? This guy's a crazy person. So anyway, really pissed me off, actually, the way he was talking down to me. Uh, he didn't mean any harm. It just was me. I was just, you know. So that night, you know, I'm I'm in there. I'm hearing him and my wife, ex-wife, in the bedroom carrying on, and I'm going, "How the hell do you ever get here?" So instead of you know looking at myself, I'm I'm getting pissed off at Greg Armand. So early in the morning, I walk in the room, and they're both out. And uh, you know, I walk up to Greg. So I get to take his wallet, take his money. Then I see a watch. I take the watch. And uh, I, 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 I go and I take, take the watch to a pawn shop. And then the guy goes, oh, this is a, there's, a, there's a, an inscription here. Are you Greg? And I went, oh, that's Greg Allman. He went, what? I said, yeah, it's Greg Allman's watch. Uh, he needs a couple. But anyway, so the next morning, Greg comes. He goes, you took my watch? He didn't even know <laughs> money. You know, he didn't realize the money was you took my watch? And I said, what are you talking about? I think I saw the dog with it, though, in his mouth. I remember saying that. And he, you know, he went, that dog, that, that, that watch was a gift. But anyway, so years later, when I get sober, um, I buy Greg a watch. I buy Greg a really nice, really nice watch. And I have a Greg engraved on the back. For the watch I stole from you, Greg. You know, blah, blah, Chuck Metal. <laughs> and uh, uh, I had a sense to his people. I, I never even got a message. I didn't even know if, if he got it. And then his, uh, uh, his girlfriend, his newest girlfriend, who was living with him, I ran into him and she says, you know that watch you got, Greg? He shows it to everybody. 
I love that. I love that story. I, my favorite thing is in the book. You yeah. said you said uh, I should have robbed him the night before because he had more money in his wallet, <laughs> which I just love that. Yeah, he did. Um, now, yeah, please, yeah. Uh, we we have a ton of drug addicts who listen to our show and uh, and and would love to get clean. And you were the worst junkie that ever walked the face of the earth. And you're clean, what, twenty two years or something, right? Twenty six. 26 years. So how'd you do it? Yeah. Well, I spent 13 years, 13 years in and out of 37 rehabs. 37. Chris Uh, went to 15. Yeah, you got me beat. (laughs) Yeah, 13 years. And, uh, oh, no, but some of them I I went through a couple of times. I'm I'm 37 different. At the the end of the thing, all the rehabs and detox and methadone almost 100. So, at any rate, uh, I finally have to, hold on one second, catch my breath. So, at any rate, uh, whew, I got up to... You want to take a second, Chuck? We're cool. We can, we can give it a second. Yeah, okay, yes, I'll take a second. Anyway, so, uh, I, I'm told by this doctor that the only place he will help me get into, and my sister-in-law takes me to this doctor, and, and you know, she's just trying to help me because she's, I'm dying to weigh 126 pounds, and I have 15 teeth left, and I now have hepatitis A, B, and C. So, uh... This doctor says the only place I'm going to help you get into is cry help because it's a no-nonsense place. All these other places treat you like you're special and you're not, you know, and, you know, you're so charming. All of a sudden you're Mr. Charm when you're in detox. But how does that detox your dick? You know, uh, so he sent me this place cry help. And cry help had a contract with the prison system, had a contract with youth authorities, so little gangbangers, yeah. ex-cons. And they had over 50% of free beds. So there was, a, there was a list that went on for months, but you could get a free bed. It's still that way, this place. All the place around, you can get a free bed. And, not, and for eight months, not just 30 days. Yeah. So, um, so I went in there, and they, woof, it was tough, man. I mean, they were, and there was no, no medication. You kicked cold, and they had, you know, they had people with me. I had an ex-con with me. They said, you're not leaving on my watch. I'll kill you before you Thank you very much. Uh, and it turned my life around. Because I saw that I was exactly like every person in there. The guys that were in prison, the guys that were nuts, the you know, the reg- the little little Jewish guy whose father owned a big uh, limousine company actually that I used. Yeah. And uh but they were all addicts, and I saw it for the first time. <clears throat> that this, that I fit. So I felt really comfortable in this place because I, I knew I was, I was home. I was exactly like these people. People I wouldn't give the time of day to because I'd be too afraid to. Were uh, you know I was I was like them, and the place was really hardcore with uh, work ethic and every day working on uh, one of the twelve steps. And, you know, he went through one through four every week. And then, on, you know, on the, the weekends, we, you know, we just go through the rest. And, and then you had to get a, you know, you had to get a sponsor or else they kick you out and start working the steps. You could not have a phone call for 90, no, for, for 60 days. You could not call anybody. You could not have a visit for 90 days. So you were re- totally isolated, and all we had to do was worried about was getting clean and sober. So it was a great place, saved my life. I was there almost a year, and, uh, you know, it taught me how to live. Yeah. I, I was reading something that I loved that Chuck said, because it, it, Chuck's son uh, had, a, had a serious problem with, with drugs, too, and he was on intervention, and Chuck was saying that... Um, Short-term treatment just doesn't work for yeah. most people, yeah. and that they need to go 
long term or else you're just in that revolving door. Yeah. Didn't you find that true for yourself? Yeah, same thing. Yeah, Chuck, I went through uh, Impact. You know Impact? It's in Pasadena. It's kind of similar to Cry yeah, Help. Yeah, I was in Impact three times. I was in Impact three times. Yeah, Impact's got, it has a sort of a similar model to Cry Help. And um, it was the same sort yeah. of milieu you were talking about and stuff. And, and I, I agree yeah. with what Dave said. It's a, you know, 30 days, they call it the spin dry, you know, and it's just that cycle of it's how you end up in 37 rehabs. You need to go away for a while. If you've been doing it for a long time, long time, you got to spend a long time somewhere. Yeah, and it's sad that not many people, you know, see a lot of the companies that now, you know, fund these, they have insurance. They only do 28, 31 days, you know. I mean, to get even 60 or 40 is a, a miracle. And, you know, like you just said, you spend a lifetime using drugs, your brain isn't even even close to being right in 30 days. Right. I mean, you're just physically away, but, the, you know, the obsession is still hidden right there. Uh, you know, all the, the, the dysfunctional behavior is still there that takes months if not years to get rid of, and uh, you know you you know you, it's really really hard to just you know go in there for a short period of time and come out and think you're going to be successful. Right? How's Chuck you know, doing? Impact, impact. Chuck is doing great. Well, he was just here, but very very sad. This thing never ends. Chuck got clean. Now you know just over a year ago, so it's not that long. A year and a half now. Um, and in that period of time. The mother of his, of his child, his love of his wife, Odie, died. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Chucky was this year for the memorial. And he looks great. I mean, I've never seen him weigh that much. And uh, he looked great. He's doing great. He's got he's really doing well on the job he's worked with, worked on for a couple of years. And it's, uh, you know, really, really, uh, it was great to see him. Because he had the road I had. Very, very hard uh, road, you know, to, to find his way to... Uh, to being clean so you know it's a, it's a blessing thanks for asking yes of course and Chuck I just want to thank you again and I want everyone to know that um, your book Three Dog Nightmare is, is out uh, March 13th and it focuses on life after recovery there's a ton of photos and 11 new chapters and and um, Chuck just recorded a, a record with his daughters right Negron Generations yeah, yeah, we did a great, oh, just a great, great uh, experience to work with uh, my daughters. Actually, it, you know, it was a period of time because they were both in school. One just graduated college, but the other one was 13 when we started, and she's 17. It was, she was 16 when we finished. That's awesome. It's great. Thank you. Yeah, we love that, and um, love that you, you agreed to come on our stupid little show, and you can check out all things Chuck Negron at www.chucknegron.com. Um, and I see you're touring with the Turtles, right? Yeah, actually, it's, uh, it's the Turtles, Gary Puckett and the Union Gap, Mark Lindsay and the Raiders, um, the Association, the original Association, the Cowsills. You having fun? Um, oh, man, it's great. Yeah, actually, I don't leave until June, but, uh, you know, we do 60 dates from June to September. Um, so, you know, it's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. I just think it's great. I mean, I'm glad I'm doing it. This is the fourth year in a row I've done it. And, uh, you know, I'm, it's really great. Well, I'm going to come check you out. You're playing in Long Island at the Westbury Music Fair. I'm going to take my, my wife I'll and we're going to come, we're gonna come see you. you and I'll say what's up. So, so thank you again, well, thank Chuck. you. Again, the going everywhere. Yeah, it's cool. We love having you on, and thank you so thank much. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you, Chuck. And be treat. well. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye, thanks. Bye-bye. There you go. You're an awesome dude. You like the story? Yeah, I mean, you had told me some of the stories, and I didn't really, particularly the engorged penis one, I did not believe it. Yeah, you know, I didn't really believe it. And then hearing him tell it, it's, it's true. It's all true. Well, it's a trip. He's, He's a- dodged so many bullets, you know what I mean? It's, it's, he's lucky to be alive. Yeah, well, his and his band was like the biggest band in the '70s, and uh, and it's cool that he comes on our show, and it's also cool that he knows that he's just like the fucking homeless guy just next like to him and cry help. The great equalizer. Yeah, no Tradition shit. Is Yale to jail, baby. All right, before we go, what do you got? I'm gonna read um, Sober RN One's review. You already read that? No, I didn't. Let me preface this by saying, as usual, that I still love you guys. Yeah. 
But drooling over Dr. Drew is not a good look, Chris. He may be an intelligent physician, but his work is biased. Drew says, use Suboxone to stay alive, but not if you want quality of life. I'd rather put you on marijuana maintenance. Dangerous ignorance statement. I don't treat patients at the scope he does, but I live this life. I work with and treat others on Suboxone. I have two RN jobs, critical care, and a college instructor. I have two home businesses. I have a daughter in college. I travel frequently. I ski. I run and coach others in recovery. I facilitate refuge recovery. No quality of life. Am I a total outlier? The only person doing well and everyone else on sub is wasting away. Imagine switching me to marijuana maintenance. You think my life quality would improve? If I'm the only person out there doing well, I'll shut up about it, really. I must be superhuman or something. I'm not even really an advocate to go on it, but I'm definitely against the negative stigma. Also, Drew, AA is great. Yay, 12 steps. But we don't have to live with that status quo. I don't even know what that means. We don't have to go to meetings that don't work for us or don't make sense. Staying silent to fit in and never making authentic process progress. There are other options. Would it be so bad if AA started making changes to fit people's needs versus people changing, mm-hmm. hiding, and lying to try to fit into their dogmatic meeting? <laughs> Chris and Dave, you're better than this. Wow. I don't think we really are. Well, you know what's oh, let me finish. I love your show. I tell everyone about it, but I also tell them to skip that episode. A few times you guys tried to say how you really felt, but it didn't fit Drew's opinion. So you backed down. She spells backed like banked, but I know she meant backed. Uh, You're better than that. Way better. Stay strong, dopies. You know what's funny, though, is that Drew wasn't saying 12-step only. He said mutual self-help, like Refuge Recovery, the meeting that she said she does. So he actually was supporting her. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to read another point of view. Um, well, what do you think? I mean, I support Suboxone. I think people do live fulfilled lives. Do you think that? I think, I think that uh, our sober RN1, if you want to really get into it, I think anything, and this is my take, anything that allows people to live is fantastic. I want people to live. I don't want people to die. However, in my experience, many, many, many of the people who are on Suboxone uh, wind up doing other drugs because they never feel like they're fully clean. I also feel like people who are on Suboxone have a self-defeating attitude like they can't be clean. And and listen, I think anybody who's having a good life on Suboxone, Suboxone, yeah. <laughs> more power to you. I just also think that you could be totally clean and have a lot more options. That's just my opinion. Yeah, maybe it'll keep you alive until you get to that point. And I think people do live fulfilling lives on Suboxone. So I you're trying to, to circumvent me in sober RN1's No, world. I just thought it was... So you're the good guy and really I am, funny. of course, I just thought guy. it was really funny because for some reason Dave relishes a negative feedback about Dr. Drew. And so I Don't know that... Tell I know Dr. That, Drew. I know that he was excited to read this review, but I also know that Dave's personal philosophy is totally against what Sober RN just said, which is hilarious. Do I even so have a personal... Right into, you, yeah, you walked right into What it. is my you, personal you, philosophy? He got the smile on his face. What did like, I do? He had the smile on his face. What did I do? Yeah, I don't know why. Well, we, why you were so upset with the Drew episode. Because literally we got... 50 great emails, 50 great comments, something. 50? Yeah, if you combine it all from between Instagram, everything. We got 50 things and then like three negative things and Dave got so excited for the negative stuff. I love negative stuff, unless it's about me. If it's about me, I don't like it. You, If there was negative stuff about a different guest, you wouldn't like it. No, I don't know. What is it? There's just something about it. I just, I don't know. I just, there's something I like about it. I like, I like, because Dr. Drew, okay, is... By far, all respect and homage to Chuck Negron, Dr. Drew is the biggest celebrity we've had on the show. Mm. I mean, he didn't sing Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog. What about Lilo Broncado? Oh, there is Lilo. <laughs> <laughs> Lilo. Yeah. And um, who else? Matt Pinfield. Matt Pinfield. Well, Dr. Drew, I think we have a, a baseline. <laughs> and I just and I also thought that Dr. Drew, you know, and I am very grateful that Dr. Drew came on Dopey. Yeah. But... You know, I couldn't stand up to him. He overpowered me, and I. This is my way of like, you know. He was just so intense. It was overwhelming for you. Yeah. 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 See, I like this intensity. Listen, I. It's like when. It's like I said. It's like when you get fucked really hard and you enjoy it. Have that ever happened to you before? 
uh, that I've gotten <laughs> fucked really hard and enjoyed it. Yeah. No. All right. Well, stay strong, Dopey Nation. Is that it? We're wrapping it up? That's what it feels like. Ask for some stuff. You ask for some stuff. Make a plea. Uh, I, I make a plea for stuff. For followers and buy some merchandise. Okay, Dopeypodcast.com. Really... We got t-shirts. Yeah, we got stuff. Yeah, look, at, look at him. <laughs> yeah. What I really want is if you're listening to this show at this point, we should do this at the beginning. Yeah. That's what Omar does. Yeah. If you're still listening to the show at this point, pick up your phone. Uh, the review is very hard to do. I would love a review. No, they've made it much easier, actually. They updated the podcast. Okay, app so leave them. a review. But before you do that, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, and follow us on Facebook. And Reddit. What about Reddit? And Reddit. Yeah. Follow us on Reddit. Even oh, though wait, 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 wait. Even though we all know Reddit is only for nerds. <laughs> Just so we know. All right. Well, now you, I'll meet you on Reddit, my fellow nerds. We have, my friend, a uh, comment I got to read. A Reddit one or the Instagram? This is an Instagram comment, okay? Yeah. Are you all ready for this? Okay. This guy says, hey, guys, I just wanted to let you know, for the first, say, 16 or 17 episodes of Dopey, I used to do lines of cocaine while listening to your podcasts. Then after one of those two episodes, I realized how happy you guys sounded. I am now four months sober and listen to your podcast to help me realize that I'm not the only one with addiction and fighting it. I never would have imagined how much Narcotics Anonymous helped me. Seeing that there's people out there who were way worse off than me helped, too. You guys are truly the best kind of podcast because you're not some Dr. Phil never done drugs in your life piece of crap that judges people. You lived it and you beat it. You guys are true podcast heroes. Thanks a lot for helping me along the road. Best wishes. What's his name? I don't want to say it. Maybe he wants to be anonymous. Liam McGregor? No. Close, but no. Thank you. And uh, Toodles. Thank you. Toodles. You know, say Toodles this one time. I want to take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I want to be good so bad I want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desires, all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. Want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind Busted city far behind I'll take the high road However far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I want to be good so bad want to be good so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had